So, Krithi, let's talk. What, let's talk now about what you would do in terms of investigations as a kind of new patient presenting with range liver function tests, which have incidentally been found. Sure. So, the key thing is trying to find out what pattern of the LFTs are. So, you can do a sort of a full panel of liver function tests. So, that includes split bilirubin, ALT, AST, Alkfos, and a gamma GT. Sort of trying to see there's a pattern to the derangement of the LFTs. Together with the LFTs, you're going to do your other routine blood tests, including full blood count, looking for any signs of anemia or thrombocytopenia, which often is a sign of portal hypertension. White sarcoidal neutrophils are important as well, as they can be raised in sort of infection or hepatitis-related etiology. Eucenes, looking for evidence of AKI or deranged electrolytes. This is, I think, more relevant in patients sort of coming in acutely unwell, which is to see if there's any other organ involvement, particularly in patients with alcohol cirrhosis. They can sort of develop hepatorenal syndrome, but it's more of a diagnosis of exclusion rather than the first sort of diagnosis for you to think of when someone presenting with AKI. Coagulation screen is important. Often patients with cirrhosis have or deranged LFTs can have acute liver failure where they have uh, prolonged INR. So it's key to check a full coagulation screen. And that includes PT, APTT, and fibrinogen as well. BBG, just look the acid-base status and lactate is important as well, just to see, because it's, it's a marker, sort of a, it's part of the criteria for someone presenting with acute liver failure, especially if you're thinking transplant down the line. Uh, blood film can be important as well, especially if you're coming thrombocytopenia. You want to see if this is a true thrombocytopenia. Often this can be due to clumping. Or as, as mentioned earlier during the part of this um, session, if you're suspecting hemolysis, then I think blood film is important. And if you're suspecting hemolysis, then you need to do all your other hemolysis screens, uh, as mentioned before. And then coming to the next important part is doing a liver screen. So I've broken this down to sort of a few categories. The first one is viral cause. So this is where you're going to be checking your hepatitis B and hepatitis C. This is more for patients presenting with sort of chronic deranged LFTs. If someone coming in sort of acutely deranged LFTs, specifically LFTs in their thousands, then you need to check for hepatitis A, E, and other non other viral causes such as CMV and EBV, as they can present in a similar manner. The next category is looking for potential autoimmune causes. So this is where you're going to do liver autoantibodies, and that includes anti-mitochondrial antibodies, which is seen in PBC. And then you've got your ANA, the anti-nuclear antibodies, and immunoglobulins, which can be raised or positive in autoimmune hepatitis. And you're going to be sending other liver autoantibodies, such as your anti-liver kidney muscle and anti-smooth muscle antigen, which is all part of your autoimmune hepatitis screen. The third category would be your metabolic causes. So you're going to be checking your ferritin, ceruloplasmin, and alpha-1 antitrypsin here. And lastly, if you're sort of suspecting malignancy as a potential cause, it's good to check the AFP and CA19.9 if, if it's you're suspecting malignancy. Yeah, so I mean, I think so I think that's you know, there's it's quite a lot to do there, isn't there? And obviously, if you're pre if they're presenting for the first time and they're very unwell, then you do need to worry about how severe this injury is. And you mentioned there quickly about acute liver failure. So that is the death that is defined by a non-serotic patient with deranged liver function tests and the development of hepatic encephalopathy. Now, there aren't many that many things that will present with acute liver failure, although certainly drugs can do it, and rarely complications of pregnancy can do it. The viral hepatitis can do it rarely, and the autoimmune conditions, again, can do it rarely. And sometimes Wilson's can present like that, but, but there's not a huge amount of other things that will present like that. But in those, in those patients particularly, so the acute liver failure patients rather than just the acute liver injury patients, you do need to think, as you said, about pH, about lactate, about the, about the 
blood sugars about the jaundice and about the INR because that if all of those are going in the wrong direction then absolutely as you say you need to get down to thinking about a referral an urgent referral to a transplant service and then just touching on the virus as you mentioned you know that absolutely the common ones that you mentioned there as well if you're really stuck and someone is really unwell or, or they're immunosuppressed then you've got to think of other there's a couple of other viruses to think about and that'd be things like herpes simplex virus which can do it and more recently there's been a spike in viral infections caused by adenovirus and parvovirus is probably due to reduced viral exposure during the COVID pandemic. And there's been a spike in the number of liver function of deranged liver tests that we've seen because of those viruses. And then the other bit I mentioned, I like that you mentioned was about the metabolic conditions. So obviously here we're talking about Wilson's hemochromatosis and alpha-1 antitrypsin, as well as obviously NAFLD. Um, and with the, with the if you're suspecting hereditary hemochromatosis, then you need to think about uh, as well, specifically the iron studies, you want an elevated ferritin and an elevated TSAT. And if those are elevated, then you need to think about doing genetic testing where you look for a genetic panel, which will cover about 95% of the mutations that cause hemochromatosis. So all of those things are kind of very key, key things to do. And the last thing I would, I would say to add is, is also if you're suspecting non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, then what's not done regularly enough is that NAFLD is part of the spectrum, a spectrum of the metabolic syndrome. So you need to do if you detected that, you need to screen for other elements of that. So that's diabetes, dyslipidemia, hypertension, kidney disease, and all of those things. And then you need to work out what their cardiovascular risk is and if and address that as possible because it's it's important long term down the line. Ignoring whether there's fibrosis or whatever, but it's 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 a red flag for uh, for the whole metabolic syndrome. And then what in terms of imaging, what can be useful in the kind of initial setting, and then more like more advanced imaging, Krithi. Sure. So I think in terms of imaging, the first instance, you're going to get an ultrasound liver with the Doppler of the portal vein. And this is where you're going to be looking for any focal liver lesions. Or you're going to be looking for the CBD diameter, or if there's any CBD stones, or even if there's any sort of radiological evidence of cirrhosis in these patients. Some, uh, ultrasound can also sometimes be useful and just picking up any pancreatic mass, particularly in the head or body. Often it's not very sensitive, but it can pick up, especially if it's large enough of a size. So ultrasound liver as your first port of imaging in someone's not acutely unwell. And follow, follow, following the ultrasound, if someone's got sort of a dilated CBD or dilated intra or extra hepatic duct dilatation, then MRCP will be useful in terms of confirming if there is any present presence of CBD stones as MRCP is the most sensitive uh, modality in looking for any intraluminal stones. If you're suspecting malignancy, especially someone with sort of painless jaundice or other symptoms such as weight loss, then the CT abdomen pelvis, which is often more useful to look for any evidence of malignancy, particularly in your hepatobiliary system. Or someone's presenting acutely unwell and you're concerned about perforation, collection, then CT abdomen pelvis is often the first port of call uh, out of hours or, or overnight to get your diagnosis right. And moving on, sort of a chronic, sort of in out more in outpatient settings, if you're sort of suspecting sort of nephil or evidence, sort of looking for evidence of cirrhosis and fibrous can, can be useful. So there's a lot of scoring that we can use, especially in the nephil, the FIP4 score or the zero nephil fibrosis score. And won't go into details of that, but essentially, if, there's, if you meet certain cutoff, then you sort of merit the fibro scan to look for any evidence of fibrosis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as you, you kind of said at the beginning, if it depends what the patient in, in front of you is like, if they're really unwell, then you may not have, and it's a Saturday, you may not be able to wait until Monday to get an ultrasound scan. So you, and at which point, you know, a CT is with a triple phase scan is a reasonable, is a reasonable 
you know, a diagnostic tool and it will, that will tell you about the shape of the liver. It will tell you about the presence of ascites and other complications of portal hypertension. It will tell you about the patency of the vessels in the portal vein and the, and hepatic veins if you're querying about whether a Bacchiari is needed. So it's about knowing which of the, what evidence and what information you can glean from these different scans and then obviously applying it to the correct and critical kind of the correct patient at the right critical time and then the last thing we haven't mentioned is kind of liver biopsy isn't it now this there's, there's obviously times where liver biopsy is useful but it's not it's very rare it's the first test to do you need to get a kind of clinical idea of what's going on and the times we would do a liver biopsy is to come is to confirm a suspected diagnosis really or to look for any evidence of underlying cirrhosis and i think you know you can do them obviously percutaneously or you can do them if the if there's a coagulopathy or a thrombocytopenia you can do them via transdrugular approach although not all centers will be able to do that and and that can be useful in, in providing more information particularly about the background state of the liver but also if you're looking to confirm things like alcoholic hepatitis so ballooning and malary vice bodies or if you're looking to look at uh, whether there's evidence of autoimmune hepatitis with interface um, hepatitis scene or whether you're looking for a drug-induced liver injury it's if, if you're looking for a specific cause then that's usually a good port of call and it can give a lot of information particularly if there's an expert here's the pathologist who's going to interpret it, it for you the one thing i would say before we come on to kind of management is there is a very good and freely available algorithm which was done by professor rosenberg who's who works at the wall free and it's it's called the camden clinical commissioning group liver function tests and they, that was published seven or eight years ago but the the, the detail on it and the advice hasn't really changed it has a really good diagnostic algorithm designed primarily for gps actually but works and focuses the same in a hospital environment and lays out exactly what you need to be thinking about depending on what test to do and it also talks about fold and what and the non-invasive scores we can use that and that was and that algorithm was used as the basis for some of the recent bsg publications about how to approach the, the and diagnose the, and find, work out the management plan for these people presenting with liver injury